0: Everyman Podcast.
1: Every man.
0: Memorial Day special. Yeah. How you doing, Daryl Campbell, my brother? Oh man, I'm
1: just uh I'm blessed and highly favored, bro. I'm with my brother Jay. That's right. You know, we're doing every man stuff every man away, every day. You know, so um I'm loving life right now, bro.
0: I'm loving life too. Like I said, uh, you know, happy memorial day at this point you'll be hearing this after memorial day so i hope that everyone had a safe and wonderful memorial day weekend i hope you had some barbecues yeah man uh you know a couple of parties maybe some cakes i don't know whatever you did i hope that you did it right and i hope you did it with positivity and you had a great time and you did it responsibly that's right responsibility (laughs) is one of the key tenets of the everyman lifestyle
1: i also hope you did it with mountain dew because that's what i'm doing right now
0: well the Everyman podcast is always fueled by the dew, and uh, we'll definitely be cracking a few cans as we, uh, as, we, as we advance through our Memorial Day celebration here today. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talked to Mr. Tank Johnson, former NFL defensive tackle for the Chicago Bears, Dallas Cowboys, and Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, former teammate of mine
1: and he's just uh, a great man, a great individual, a great father great dad you know um and he uh he dropped some knowledge on us man
0: he really did and uh tank is a guy that for me as a fan um it's it's one of those moments i had to pinch myself while he's telling me stories about what it's like to tackle ben roethlisberger because how did i end up in this in this point you know at this point in my life to have these conversations and it makes me it makes me think about that and uh, ultimately, you know, we're on this cosmic uh, journey together in our canoe here, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes you get put on a path that you're not expecting, and the best thing to do is just appreciate it and be aware that you weren't expecting it, and be grateful for the opportunity. And uh, I certainly am. Uh, and and in this in this episode here, you're going to hear Tank talk about life as a as a you know as a rookie coming in with expectations as a second round draft pick, um, coming in with Hall of Famers like Brian Erlacher behind him. Being a an early contributor on one of the greatest defenses of all time, statistically. I mean, it's <laughs> not even a it's not Hyperbowl. I mean that's that they are that Bears team that went to the Super Bowl, that is one of the best defensive units that have ever been assembled and he was he was right there a part of it. So you get to hear um, what that journey was like and, and what it was like when it was time to hang up the cleats, and I think he Absolutely. he really got got real with us, and really and really um, shed some light on that. So I think if you're if you're a fan of football, if you're a fan of the Bears or Bengals, or even if you if you're not, um, you get a real perspective on on what it's like to be uh, to be the everyman in the NFL, and uh, it was a great episode.
1: It was an awesome episode. Um, also, key in on just how unbelievably aware he is. Um, not only as, 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 as my brother Jay alluded to with respect to being on the field, but just also as a person, you know what I mean? Is also as, you know, harboring that innocence um, as a fan from a young age to, uh, you know, even his words, just, you know, saying that he's incredibly fortunate to be that fan and don an NFL uniform and, and be a fan while he's playing the game amongst other giant toddlers like my, my former self. So, um it, it was just awesome to be able to tap into that, to hear that. And I think, um, you know, just as we are always riding that cosmic canoe of positivity um, with respect to the podcast, but for all of our listeners out there, I think you'll learn, learn a thing or two.
0: Absolutely. And uh, with that being said, Daryl Campbell, uh, let's throw it to our interview with Tank Johnson. Let's get it. We're here today on the Everyman Podcast with former NFL defensive tackle Tank Johnson. Tank, how you doing, bro?
2: I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: It's an honor to have you on the show, man. We're really looking forward to talking with you today. Yeah, big T. Excited
1: about this joke, man.
0: Real excited because uh, we're going to get to finally uh, hear what Daryl was like on the football field at some point today. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Everybody knows him on on the podcast now, and and, uh, you know I'm sure he's uh, much more, much more aggressive on on the field than he is (laughs) on the uh, on the pod. So we're looking forward to that. So, oh yeah, jumping right into it. um, You were drafted uh, with the 15th pick in the second round of the 2004 NFL draft by the Chicago Bears uh, by way of the University of Washington. And um, I wanted to talk to you about right off the bat. What was that experience like for you? Getting ready for the draft getting all your you know ducks in a row to go from that take that next step from college to the pros Uh,
2: Well the next step for me uh, getting Going from college to the pro was uh, it was pretty straightforward to be honest with you Um, you know, I, I I felt like I knew myself the best and Where a lot of agents were offering, you know me to go and have a great time go to la and or, or go to Miami and stay in these swanky hotels like I knew for for my personality type um that that like send me to like Siberia and 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 that's that's works best for me so I ended up going to um uh New Jersey which is obviously really far from uh Seattle where I went to school at and I, I trained, uh, I think it's called Paramus, New Jersey. And uh, I, I trained at Parise's. And it was, just, it was far enough away uh, from all that I knew that I wouldn't be distracted. Uh, and, it, and it allowed me to focus in on what I was doing.
0: So can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what, explain what that process is like, what you're talking about with the agents. So when, when you, before you get drafted and you're in that in-between period where you're not a pro yet, and you've declared for the draft. What what are agents offering you to, to try and, and what's the purpose of that?
2: You know, that was actually a part of my interview process. I felt like any agent that were offering me kind of like a good time and this lavish lifestyle, I I felt like they didn't they didn't know me, they didn't know uh, young athlete. They don't know what they need. And so, you know, they offer you everything from um, weightlifting and uh, training and uh, lodging. Um, they, they take care of, you know, things, you know, just kind of your little things in between college and pro that you don't really have the finances for, uh, i.e. like flights and clothing and, you know, things like that. They, they just kind of like, they're like your your bridge between um college and the pro and they kind of like help you get across and assist you uh before you make any money uh, essentially
0: in hindsight do you, do you think that that was um do you think you, you chose the best route like going you know like you said new jersey isn't the sexiest place you know everybody's in miami doing the work and as a fan i always hear this you know certain guys are going to you know arizona to work out because you know this agent or whatever Uh, Same thing with Miami like, you know, you know, we hear about Antonio Brown and his workouts and stuff Um, And and do you think that that's like the best way to do it is to just really focus on the work until you really in the league?
2: Yeah, I mean if you can just get in in an environment where you can just put your head down and work, you know like there's so many things that are um, Offered to you. I mean, there's you know, cuz it's it's around New Year's January and February so like around that time You know, there's obviously the Super Bowl. There's obviously the Pro Bowl, and there's all these things that um, that you're you're close to getting there, but you're not quite there. And a lot of guys, I feel like, they they jump into living that lifestyle, uh, which you gotta have the uniform, of course. So you gotta have the nice watch. You gotta have the nice clothes. You gotta have the nice car, and you haven't really earned any money yet. And so. Looking back on it, I, I, I feel like I gave myself the best chance um, to be drafted and, and to focus uh, during that three-month time.
0: So I would assume they're, they're not just giving that money out for free. They're, they're loaning that to you guys as part of what, what comes what comes out of your, your, your first check. So like you're saying, you got guys that are spending all their money on how they look for the draft or you know that in-between time before they even draw their first check.
2: Yeah, it depends on how good you are. <laughs> you know, um, for me, uh, a guy who was supposed to be, um, you know, mid to late first round, early second round, um, you know, they they bought, you know, I, I think I bought some, you know, one purchase before the draft uh, was a car, um, which, uh, you know, I, I felt like I deserved it, <laughs> you know, and, and I actually, you know, bought that for about $50,000 before the draft. Uh, but even signing for that was surreal because I had essentially uh, um, already depleted my future checks. So it was like it, it was it was kind of overwhelming, but it, it added just enough pressure for me to just keep my head down and working.
0: Yeah, I always like to have a deadline like that, too. It always helps me work. It's awesome, man.
1: Get out of those uh those hard goals for you you know what I'm saying
2: hundred percent hundred percent
0: so once you're drafted what's what's like the first step there for for somebody that's that's a second round pick so uh again as as a as a fans perspective my my idea is that you know guys are generally safe ish if you're like first to third round um, and then those other guys are really kind of on the grind to make the team so did you feel like you were on the roster with the bears when you got drafted or do you feel like you were going to have to work?
2: Um, I I mean, I I knew that I was on the team because of the investment that they made in in, in me. Um, but just the environment that I went into, um, I knew I had to work. We, we, you know, we had a, a veteran led team with a bunch of guys who had been there and been successful. So, um, uh i mean I, I as a second round pick they you know they invested you know 1.3 million dollars in me off the bat so i knew i wasn't going to get cut but then again if you go out there and stink up the place you know you you you, you know you you won't you won't be there very long that's
0: for sure yeah you got to once it's one thing to get there but really staying there is the is the tough part which is what i you know, getting to know Daryl and, uh, you know, some of the other guests we've had on that have played in the league. That's that really seems to be the common thread.
1: Yeah, I got I got to jump in on that one. One real quick second, too. And just to speak on Tank and just uh, just for all the listeners that, and, and and those out there. Yeah, he was a second round draft pick, but he came to work, you know, uh, like a lunch pail kid. He came to put in the work and then do everything he possibly could to, you know, master his craft. <clears throat> so, you know, a little Mount Dew in my throat right there, but gotta have <laughs> um, the deal. For the most part, Tang came to work every day. I know even while I was there watching him, because I know that first year I had my my ACL was trying to come back from it. Um, watching him, watching Tommy, and and everything they did, unbelievable body control with these two cats. But um, for the most part, um, yeah, Tang came in ready to work and uh, put people down when he had to. So. It wasn't just one of those things where he came in like, "Hey, I'm safe," just because I'm a second round pick. He came in like, "Hey, I came to earn my job." So,
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah, you always, always want to come in humble and and ready and ready to do the the hard work. That's that's the way you get the the most long term success. So you you mentioned coming into a veteran laden team, and you had a lot of um, NFL experience on that coaching staff as well. So, what, what was it like coming in as a rookie? And you've got you know. Brian Olacker, you know, who's at that point he's he's pretty much in his prime and uh you know, he was just coming off defensive player of the year. Yeah. I believe, right? Yeah. 2000. No,
2: actually he he won it after we got there. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. I you know, I thought he was 04. My 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 apologies. Um but still want, be viewed as one of the best to ever do it at that time still. So, was that was that intimidating when you came in um into that locker room? for the first time
2: Uh, I wouldn't say intimidating I I would just say that um, you know first of all it's always great to have good leaders Um, and there's an accountability factor there that you know that those guys will not settle for average Um, you know those guys will allow you to be young but you cannot make the same mistake over and over um, when you have those type of guys behind you and they expect so much of you um so it, it was just one of those it was it was one of those situations where um as a young player you didn't want to let those guys down um, and you also wanted to um, showcase your talent um going forward
0: now when you say that they they don't want to to see that they, they hold you to a high standard is that really what what the key is you think to these successful teams and Franchises, because we talk a lot about what makes these certain franchises successful year over year, or, you know, decade after decade, like the Bears, the Packers, the Steelers, the Giants, the Patriots, these teams that invest through the draft and then they have veterans to hold a standard. So, do you think that, that that's what was going on there? That they were just like, no, this is how we play Bears football, and that's why you were able to come in and, and really contribute. You know on a squad that was one of the all-time greats
2: yeah I mean you know I was just talking to a couple of my buddies about this it's the culture that you go into um, you know I, I had friends um, I won't say their names but you know they went into a culture that put them on a, a, a bad trajectory just because the the culture that they came into was kind of toxic um, you know, the veterans weren't really there to help the young guys out. And, and I went to a culture that, you know, wins or loss aside, you're going to respect the game. You're going to play the game the right way. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to fight until, until the clock hits zero. And if you do that, you're going to get yourself a chance. And that's kind of the belief that they put into us.
0: Do you, Do you think that, so when you're saying that some guys get into an a uh, in a in a situation where the culture is not there you think that that's like how much of that is is important to winning do you think that's is that not is that 50% is that 75% well, or where do you think that that stacks up is so you, so if you've got the the leadership from from the top down and then that culture where do you think that comes in
2: well in terms of uh, wins and losses um, I think it's fifty percent, and in terms of prolonging your career, I say it's the other fifty percent. You know, the the if you go into a good culture and you learn good habits, you have got a chance to play a longer career. Um, and if you and on the same side, if you go into a culture that practices the good habits, you know you you'll you have a chance at winning. And I and I always tell people during our Super Bowl run season. Um the football gods blessed us like no other. I mean, there was times where I would get a sack and I would knock the ball out of a guy's hand and it would literally, you know, bounce right between the other team's legs, you know, bounce the wrong way and all of a sudden the ball would just bounce right into our hands and I I really always felt like it's because we honored uh the game the correct way and the football gods were making the ball bounce our way and um, you know, I remember when I played for the Cowboys. Uh, we could never, you know, we could never get a ball to bounce our way. We could never. I mean, we would get the sack, and you would be the only person around, and somehow the ball would bounce to the other team. And and I knew that uh, the cultures in Dallas versus Chicago were so different, and I, I felt like the football gods were trying to tell us something.
0: That's funny you say that. We Daryl and I talk about this thing. We call it the cosmic canoe. The cosmic baby. <laughs> that 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 the everyman podcast that we're that we're on together this journey. And to explain what that is, is it's like we're we're on a we're in a stream of consciousness together, Daryl and I, working towards this goal of of enriching people's lives through education and interviews and just, you know, good information and positivity. And every time we put our oar down in the water you know, to, to propel ourselves forward towards that goal, we bring up some more magic with us and it just propels us forward. And it's like, sure. it's like, how much of that are you in control of by simple, you know, having that work ethic, having the culture like you're talking about? And, you know, whether you're starting a podcast, starting a new job, a rookie coming into the NFL, you have to have that mindset that you're going to do the hard work and, you're going to have success. And it seems like that's, you know, that's what it's all about.
2: Yeah. And that's the culture you come into. And and that's why, you know, I I'd like to, you know, make that point clear is because as a rookie, you don't really have a lot of say in what's going on around you. So if the guys who are leading you are leading you in the right direction, then that's, that's, that's the best thing a rookie could ever have.
0: So you're kind of just mouth quiet, ears open when you're a rookie, just trying to and, and absorb it all in and speak when spoken to kind of deal?
2: hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, you, you, you're just, you know, you're head down, keep chopping, um, speak when spoken to, you know, it's, it's, it's that environment. And, you know, we're all grown men. And of course, you know, we could all say, you know, t- to hell with carrying pads and <laughs> I'm not doing this and doing that, but it, it's, it's about, kind of just going through the process of paying your dues and, and earning respect. And uh, yeah. And, and so as a rookie, you're just there to, to contribute um, until you're told otherwise. Hey,
1: hey big T I got to ask you a question real quick. So T- what, what up? so what type of confidence do you have coming in as a rookie? When you got somebody like Ryan or like, or behind you, you got old recruits across from you, making you better every day. You got, You know, veterans, I know, I know Flip, Phillip Daniels was there for a little bit. Um, Alex Boone right there, Ian Scott, you got, uh, you know, Tommy next to you. What type of confidence do you have knowing that coming into the right culture, going into their game, you know, game in and game game out with the skill set that you have? I mean, does it, it it has to make you feel like, you know what, I can do just about anything I I, I, I want out here and, and still be successful.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I remember when when I would make mistakes and I would be so afraid about the mistakes that I made and, and and Brian would tell me, I don't care if you make a mistake. You know, whichever way you go, just pick a side and go 100 miles an hour. And I was like, wait, even if I'm wrong, I'm right. <laughs> you know, and, and that's not the case in college. You know, coach says be in this gap. You're in this gap and when you're playing with Hall of Famers behind you, you know, he's just saying, hey, just go hard. If you make a mistake, do it fast. So it gave me all the confidence in the world um, that I I didn't have to be robotic and perfect. And I had I had guys behind me that that would clean it up
0: so you could just play your game. And then and because you're the system, if the system works, you can play your game and you'll have the desired outcome. 100%.
2: Hundred percent. If you you just you know you do what you do, and it just allows room for growth. You know, it it allows room for you know one one thing that can hinder uh, a young player's um, longevity is if is being anxious, um, having that anxiety to make a mistake almost paralyzes you on the field, and if so, if you don't have that, uh, you you you've got a chance. To work through all the the you know the tough times and 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 really hone in on your skills.
0: That's 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 impressive. Um, I, I would imagine that the the transition from a college playbook to the NFL playbook, on top of the you know, it's like when you come into any new job. There's like, oh well, we don't do that here because there's like unwritten <laughs> rules that you just don't know that you sometimes you step in a pile of shit and you don't even know. You didn't even know you were doing it. And um, how, do you, how do you balance that pressure of learning that new playbook and learning all those new assignments um, and also, like I said, those, those unwritten rules of the locker room?
2: Uh, well, you know, one of the cool things about the draft and going to the NFL is, uh, you know, if the team does things correctly, they usually draft you to do what you did in college. <laughs> You know, they don't really draft you out of position, especially if they invest a high pick um, in you. So for me, it was just uh, learning the same things called a different thing. Called a different thing. And the only difference with the NFL is you will learn a blitz in April and they will call that shit in December and you will have to be like, uh okay you know th- we did that in the summertime versus in college um you you really practiced what you're going to do that week um and and in terms of the locker room culture um you know that's just a, that's the that's the fun part that's what retired guys miss is that locker room environment and so um, it's not necessarily a challenge adapting to the culture uh, because it's usually pretty straightforward but um, You know, it's it's that part of the game that that really means most to guys once they step
0: away. So that's a perfect opportunity for you to tell us a little bit about what what it was like as having Daryl Campbell as a uh, as a teammate, because people have really gotten to know Daryl on the podcast um, and, uh, you know, as a as an interviewer, as a professional, um, as somebody who, uh, you know, loves Mountain Dew. But uh, I, I I'm curious to hear from some from somebody who was there uh you know what he was like as a teammate and a uh, football player uh
2: well i tell you you know first things first is that you know anytime you get a guy a group of guys that come out of Notre Dame uh you know they're going to be very intelligent guys um they're going to be very layered men in terms of uh you know football is not the only thing that they do um and so you know, that's one thing that playing in the NFL over years that I've learned about Notre Dame guys. And, and D.C. was no different. Um, D.C., you, you you instantly knew that he was an intelligent guy and, and there was more to him than just football. But, you know, when he was on the field and he played the game, I tell you what, you know, everything that he did, um, he did it heavy-handed. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and, you know, we got this term... Uh, that we say in football called friendly fire is when your own, <laughs> when your when your own guy knocks the shit out of you. And, and D.C.'s one of those guys that he's going to knock you, him and everybody out on the way to the ball. And that's the kind of, you know, he's just he's just, you know, all. <laughs> and. and, and, and and, and I, I tell you what, to achieve his goal, there is nothing he won't do. Um, and, and, you know, in the in the process of that, it, it, if he's extremely heavy-handed, it's like we go through a two-hour practice and, you know, you want to shake D.C.'s hand in the locker room. It's like, damn, D.C., man, we ain't – I got to get my wrist tape just to shake your hand, man. Like, he just was heavy-handed and, uh, extremely long arm extremely talented and uh he, he he would bust a lot of people's ass on the way to the ball and that's the kind of guy i love to play next to
0: yeah i mean it's funny <laughs> Appreciate it's, <that> team. <laughs> yeah it's it's funny to hear you hear you describe him like that because that's how i know him as uh you know i i came to know him as my uh my band was doing some work with uh that network and um that's how we met and uh since then, you know, getting into the podcast, he's gotten heavy-handed with that, and you know, I've I've watched him drink, you know, twelve Mountain Dews in a single sitting. So I can only imagine what he's like with, uh, you know, on the football field when other people are in the way of his goal. And like you said, shaking his hand, he'll he'll just you know pick me up off of my feet into the air <laughs> like I'm a toddler, like it's like me picking up my little nieces, like it's you know I've just become used to it. I'm just you know I'm not going to be able to do anything about it, so. You know going for a ride
2: that's d c for you and and that you know what he he you know what um it, it's it's great because when 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 I reconnected with him this year uh he, he's a hundred percent the same guy um he loves you know going back to what I said about uh Notre dame guys being extremely layered and having you know multiple just extreme depth to them um he, I knew that he would do great things in and outside of the game and uh I was not surprised to see uh him having the success he's having.
1: Well wow. dude, that's Yo, know, I tell you what TS uh that's almost like a perfect segue here, man. You know what I mean? Because brother Jay's talking about the football stuff, I'm talking about the stuff after football and I think uh one of the biggest things that I know like even when we did connect, you know, on the uh podcast there back in Tennessee is that uh you know, the when I saw you And when I heard, you know, that I'd be working with you, I I got like, I don't know, man, I guess like my chest got huge and I was like, yo, man, I am so proud of T, man. I'm so proud of Tank, man. Like, like hosting, doing what you do. I I mean, I tell you what, what's, what's the passion like for you now, man? What's, what's the next thing? What's, what keeps the motivation going after football? I know we connected and you're doing the stuff with the podcast, the legends community, um, what's what's the big thing on the radar right now? Since, since since the game,
2: yeah, I mean, you know, you know, a lot of times when when a player retires from football, um, you go through this kind of period of being lost um, because what you know when you play sports your whole life, you cultivate um, a certain skill set that works within the framework of a team, and then you you retire and you kind of feel like you lose the team and so you're always kind of um, searching for that next team to be a part of to add value to and um, there there are there are ups and downs when you realize when you step out of a locker room because um, every team you know that's out there may not be the team for you and so I think a lot of players go through that to find out you know, what's the best team um, to be on after football. But um, for me, uh, having the challenges, the, this, just the life experiences that I had, um, I, I knew that I was better than my experiences. Um, I knew that I was better than, you know, even the challenges that I had. And, and I think it just led me in a, in a space to not only, prove that on a day in and day out basis, um, but to, to, give, to give whatever I got, whatever knowledge I have um, to, you know, the, the, the athlete community, I don't care what sport it is, but, um, you know, a, as a person who's a sociology major, you know, I love to study, you know, small populations of people and what better population to study than athletes.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, we talk about that. Uh, you talk about that aspect of team and finding your next team. I was fortunate enough to when I when I got through playing, I had uh, Mark Tressman, who was uh, my head coach out in Montreal with the Alouettes. He had a best best friend in Greg Cosell at uh, NFL Films. And, you know, just like UT, I didn't know what my next thing was that I you know wanted to do. Um, I knew that I was good with technology. I knew my major was computer science. But it's just like you say, when you've been doing football for the, the better portion of your life, what do you do when you don't do football? You know what I mean? So for yeah. me, just like you, what's the next team? And um, I think by the grace of God with Tressman talking to Greg Cosell and then me coming to NFL Films to just kind of find my way and find my new team and then you know, subsequently reconnect with you, you know, my, one of my former teammates. And, and to actually, you know, do things with my former teammate, you know, uh, and have some more layered experiences, like you said, um, with respect to, you know, things that revolve around player engagement. And um, so one of the things I've always respected about you, you know, T, is uh, how you took care of the game. You took care of your teammates and <clears throat> Mike, single, Mike, Mike Sinclair was my... Uh, defensive line coach when I was in Montreal. And he said, you know what? No matter what happens after the game, as long as you've taken care of it, the game will take care of you. So...
2: 100%.
1: 100%. And with that being said, I've always respected how you've taken care of the game. And then even more so, um, and we talked about this in Tennessee, you know, how you're a devout family man, how you love your daughters, how, how, how much how important that is for you. And that's, I think... I just love that about you, man. And can you talk a little bit more about the home team? You know what I mean? Your daughters, your family, what that means to you and how important that is for you.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, my, my family is my life. And, um, you know, I, I I just, you know, for my situation, I've, I just always wanted um, to be there for my family. And, and I remember... Um, during the NFL lockout, um, of 2010, um, that was probably like the most prolonged period of time in the last eight years that I had to spend with my daughters and my wife. And it, it, it honestly kind of like, it kind of scared me because, you know, usually, you know, it's a routine. Like, you know, you go through the season, you go through the off season, you spend time with your family and then you repeat it. Um, but during the lockout, you know, there was like nothing football related in the summer. So you got all that extra time with your family. And I remember we were in Hawaii at my brother's wedding and I looked at my daughters and they were swimming and I was just thinking about where did the last eight years ago, like, where did it go? And I was like, it was at that moment that I knew that I was going to retire, uh, fairly shortly after that, just because. Um, I don't have sons. I have daughters, and, and that's uh, the challenge the good Lord has blessed me with is having <laughs> daughters. And um, I knew that if nothing else, I wanted to be um, their support system, um, th- their confirmation that they were good, they were okay, and they were enough. And um, I, I knew that I, I didn't feel like while I was playing – that I was able to put that in them, that validation. I wanted to be their validation. And I, I didn't feel like football allowed me enough time to, to for them to trust me to be their validation. And so I knew that um, I just wanted to be home with them. And I, I went back to training camp that year, but it was so funny because most times when that horn goes off at six in the morning, we're trained, similar to the military, to just jump up, mm-hmm. you know, wash your face and go. And every day that more, every morning that horn would go off. I would just look at the ceiling and be like, "What the hell am I doing here?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I went through about two or three weeks of practice, and then I, or maybe two weeks of practice, and I finally, uh, right before the first preseason game, I was like, "I don't think I really want to do this anymore." And I told my coach, and then that was it. And and that drive home. Uh, they released me of my contract. And um, I never knew what that moment would feel like when I was done with it. But that ride home was emotional. Uh, I, you know, I cried, I laughed, but I don't think I've been that happy in a very long time.
0: I would imagine that you a game like the NFL, where your life can change at any given moment, uh, at any given play. Um, I would think that if if you realize that you don't want to do this anymore, that's just something where you can't even imagine going back out for another snap. Is that, is that kind of accurate?
2: 100%. When, when, when you check out mentally, that's when the next snap, you just don't want to do it. You know, I, I often, um, I often say it's like being on the freeway with rollerblades, you know, it's yeah. like, I should not be out here with these damn. You know, it's just like I should not be out here. So, um, the second you know your mind's made up, um, I think that's the time you should walk away because you know if you if you're not all the way dialed in, bad things can happen.
0: There was a there was a gentleman on the uh, I believe it was the Buffalo Bills last season that had had a similar experience during a game. And I think the the media at first and the fans were all over him talking about letting his teammates down. And um, when I really started to think about it, I realized that if you see something out there in the field that – and especially as I get to know guys like yourself uh, and understand the human toll that it takes playing the game – why would you go back out after halftime if you feel like I'm done? You know, I, it's not I because if your head's not in it, not only could your, you get injured, but you could make a mistake and injure somebody else and yeah. and they're, you know, change their life as well. So um one of the things I like uh, that I really enjoy about this podcast is getting an opportunity to get that message from guys like yourself out to people directly from the source, you know, because. When it's coming through, you know, talking heads sometimes it gets colored with uh, with somebody else's opinion on it. Uh, so thank thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. Absolutely. Um, I actually have a few more uh, football questions here. I wanted to pepper through uh, rapid fire. Um, sure. What was um, the Super Bowl? What was that experience like? Because you you're out of your normal routine. Because one, you're you're not. You're you're not going to your home stadium. You're traveling somewhere else. Um, there's that extra week in between, and then you have international press. You know, every, every news media outlet from you know CNN all the way down to you know the National Enquirer, Telemundo. Telemundo. <laughs> Telemundo. Yeah, like I mean, you got you got you know Hungarian uh, cable TV there. Like, what's what is that like, and is it as stressful as? they make it out to be and like, how do you balance with family and friends and, and all that stuff? Could you just tell us what that whole process is like?
2: Um, It's, you know, it's almost like, um, how do I explain it? Um, it's, it's, it, I would equate it to being like, if you were ever to get a chance to be like behind the scenes at like the Grammys. Right. So like, we watch the production on TV. We see all that goes into it, and and we kind of see it go off without a glitch. But imagine if you were backstage and you were watching the, the handlers run around and tell the celebrities, you know, you got five seconds and be on this mark and do that. Like, that's what it's like being in the Super Bowl because you're actually a part of the biggest show, the biggest sports game in the world, and you, you, you're, you're getting to see how it's made and and you're getting to see like from a behind the scenes standpoint, like what makes it so big, um, how, you know, you'll just be walking, talking to a friend and then you will see like ESPN cover it. Oh, you know, they're, they're enjoying their week at the Super Bowl, And it's like, wow, they just made a story (laughs) out of me walking to a meeting room. And, And so, um, you know, that's kind of the first thing that I think about it. Like, you know, I've been to so many Super Bowls and, and watched them, and it's fast-paced and everything seems so perfect and cool. But imagine being behind the scenes and watching it develop. Um, that was really special. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that hit me when I ran on the field at the Super Bowl was this absolutely is the last game of the year. Like, I don't care what happens. I don't care what takes place. This is the last two standing teams, and that is one hell of a feeling. And that's when nice. you take that in and realize, like, no matter what, this is it. You know, this is the last game, and that's that's a that's a a feeling. Like, you don't get to feel that very often unless you're the Patriots.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I think even <laughs> even for them, they uh, I hope they still have a little bit of that wonder. So you're so you're as a fan too, as somebody who grew up as a fan of football, you're like wow, I'm a, I'm a part of this and I'm running out on the field. Like you're, you have a bit of that self-awareness there.
2: 100%. You know, the, you know, I don't think people understand. Um, One thing I think people should understand the most is that we're simply just fans. Athletes are fans. We're fans of each other. We're fans of the game, but everyone makes us out to be so cool. (laughs) <laughs> but as you see, as you see nowadays with the Jersey swap between guys after the games and in yeah. and, and the NFL and the NBA, like we're nothing more than big kids that got a real chance to live out our dreams, but we're fans at our heart and we we get just as giddy as a two year, two year old little girl who's doing that. So, yeah,
0: that's awesome. And I, and I, I, I think. That translates and that comes through, and and that's what helps fans connect to athletes more. Is when they see that that you guys are fans just like just like we are, and that and that you you know you have the same appreciation uh, for for the franchises that we do. And which brings me to something else I wanted to talk to you about, which is um, rivalries. So I'm a I'm a huge Steelers fan. Uh, my, my family's from Pittsburgh, and um, you know. The Steelers, as a Steelers fan, that's kind of something that you 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 inherit uh, from your family, and and the the Chicago Bears are another one of those franchises. And uh, Daryl sent me an awesome picture of you getting your hands all over Brett Favre. Yeah, buddy. And yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at that photo, and I'm just thinking, you know, like one man, like how did I, you know, how did I end up in this position to be talking to you? uh, about, about this, you know, tackling Brett Favre, but what is it like, like you said, now that I understand that you're, you're just a big fan, uh, you, you respect the game, you're a historian of the game. What's it like for you to be, you know, you got your hand in the dirt, you're doing something you've been doing since you're five, but when you look up, it's Brett Favre on the other side. And it's like, I mean, what's that, what is that like? And then what's it like sacking him? And and, (laughs) I mean, like, I mean, that's, that's somebody who's like, uh, one of the the few Faces of the NFL like history and and what's it like to be a a part of that a moment of that?
2: You know what it's it's um, Obviously, I'm very privileged. I'm very thankful Um, you, You know and it you know playing against Brett Favre is is like playing on You know, it's like playing on recess, you know, he he says the same shit that you think he'd say, you know, you, you didn't hit me hard enough. You know, you're, you're too slow. Big boy or, or, or goddamn tank. You got me, you know, um, he, he's the, he's the type of guy that can make a long standing, bitter rivalry. Hilarious. Um, you know, he's just, you know, he's the kind of guy you want to chase uh, you want to get him down, but, but uh, you know what, He guys like Brett made the game fun. You know, he was one of the, you know, one of the last true characters in the game that was really true to himself, uh, didn't take himself too serious, and uh, I was very privileged to play against him.
0: So, so do you save that, that reflection and that awareness for, you know, the ride home, and you're just in the zone when you're when you're on the field, and you and then you then later on you're reflecting on the fact that you you just sacked Brett Favre. Yeah,
2: to be honest with you, you, I can speak for myself. Like I, you know, I I didn't really have very much reflection while I was playing. Um, it, it's it's when I retired. And, you know, you're going through stuff at your dad's house or your mom's house and hmm. uh, you, you're looking and you're like, holy cow, like I've really been a part of some cool moments in football. Um, you know, it was funny. They were talking about this week about Peyton Manning uh, becoming a GM of the Jets or not. And they kept replaying when I missed a sack on him in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and that, that moment haunted me. Until he won his next Super Bowl with the uh, Broncos, but um, they just kept replaying it and replaying it, and you know it was like, hey, I was there in that moment. I missed the sack, but man, what a time to be alive!
0: That's awesome. That's incredible, and and I guess at a certain point, you have to. Your 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 natural instinct as a competitor is like you said you're still you're still hot about that, but. I would think it's still cool just you know to be to be a part of that history you know I guess it takes time and maybe that's my uh you know from a fan perspective um but uh interesting enough is uh so I want to talk about your time with the bengals in uh, in two thousand nine I actually was at every uh Steelers home game and um I was at that game in week seven when you guys came to town and you completely completely asked the Steelers 18 Ricked. to 12 and and I, and I said to Daryl I said you know I remember um you know I'm also a big Madden player you know I I would you were one of the guys I would always you know put onto my team and uh I remember being worried having to you know as a Steelers fan having to see see you on the on the on the schedule and I remember that game um distinctly one because it was very cold and uh, just how all over Ben you guys were. And Ben's another one of those guys that uh, they talk about kind of in the Brett Favre light that he's hard to take down. And and uh, I would like to know w- what similarities did you, did you see like being involved in that Steelers-Bengals rivalry? Because that's, as the media says, that's one of the hardest hitting, you know, games of the year along with the Steelers-Ravens or Bears-Packers. So playing having played in – two big time NFL rivalry games D- was it was it up to that par that that Steelers Bengals and also is it really that hard taking down Roethlisberger? and what's he like on the field and playing against him
2: uh yeah uh you know the AFC North it's a double chin strap division you know you don't want to be out there without your mouthpiece you don't want to be out there with your chin strap uh half-assed buttoned up because someone's going to rearrange it for you and um you know that's being a part of that rivalry was just it was just so fun and one of the things that i'm most proud in my whole career about is change helping change the culture in cincinnati um which was during that time and we were almost like a little brother to the uh to the steelers and and i just remember telling those guys like hey you know what? We're, look, we're gonna go out there. We're gonna play hard, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do our thing, and we're gonna let the chips fall there where they may. But one thing we're not gonna be is scared, or have this kind of inferior, inferior feeling to to them. And I just remember relentlessly uh, taking off against their offensive linemen and just giving them all that they could handle. And and it ultimately led to us being in a good shape. Um, And it it was just, it's just a rivalry that that you just gotta love to be a part of. And in terms of, you know, Big Ben, you know, yeah, Big Ben's a throwback, you know. know, I was lucky enough to play against Dante Culpepper and, um, you know, Big Ben is probably um, very similar in terms of uh, how hard it is to take him down. I've seen uh, Cole Pepper throw uh, a sixty-yard touchdown to Randy Moss with a grown man hanging on his body, you know, and <laughs> and big Big Ben, Big Ben is exactly the same, and he's he's probably a lot uh, more polished quarterback than Dante was, but uh, he was, you know, he's just like trying to to take a tree down. Um, he, he's not a guy that you want to hit. Uh, low and kind of give yourself one shot Um, you want to actually try to get to him and wrap up his throwing arm first and then kind of like rugby tackle him to pull him down because uh, other than that if you give yourself one shot big ben's gonna make
0: you look foolish wow that's awesome that's that's yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to hit him low either. And that's that's funny you say that about Dante Culpepper. He was he was one of my favorite guys to watch in the league uh, as well. I always I always loved uh, I always felt like he got a it, it sucks how his how his career went. Uh, Would have loved to seen him play play longer um, that those teams there, you know, the the Bengals and, and the the Ravens at that time. Those were some really. Hard-hitting personalities that you had in that in that division uh, on both sides of the ball. I mean, you had to worry about somebody like Hines Ward coming by and uh, breaking your jaw on a block at, at, during that period of time. So, um, but uh, another question I had for you was uh, being in the locker room with Ocho Cinco. Is he as uh, as fun a character as he seems?
2: Yeah, yeah. Chad was Chad was. A, he's a great guy, a funny character. But you know, I think. um where people sell, sell Chad a little bit short is, um, he's extremely, extremely intelligent, you know, um, you know, he's a guy from Miami. Um, and, and we were in a very small market and if Chad played in, uh, New York or Chicago, I mean, he, he'd have so many opportunities off the field that it, it it would, it would rival football in terms of the time. Um, and so he created, um, a, a media market for himself. Um, he created a um, he created a revenue stream for himself, and and that's you know there's a lot to be said about um, his his smarts. And you know what, um, football has a ton of different characters and personalities, and it's it's all about whatever you have to do to motivate yourself. And as a receiver, um, you got to be the the most ultimate confident person there is. And I never had a problem with that, and so uh, yeah, Ocho Cinco was uh, one of a kind, very special guy.
0: Yeah, and to tack on to that, I I'm always um, I, I like to I love HBO Hard Knocks. You know, everybody loves those shows, and uh, I'll never forget watching him on there going into a mall and going to Claire's. Do you remember <laughs> this, Daryl? And he goes into Claire's and he's like, "No, come on, you think these things I'm wearing on the field are real diamonds? Get out of here! Come on, these are thirty bucks." And he and he literally is going out there like there's 13 year old girls getting their ears pierced for the first time and he's getting the biggest fake diamonds that they have and that's what he was wearing and that's when I realized like whoa he is smart man <laughs> he's he's got a whole gimmick here that he's working and like he's he's putting this whole thing out there and, and letting people think what they want to think about him uh but he he's a smart dude that was really ahead of his time uh with that I mean can you like you said could you imagine him in a bigger market with with social media now it would have been it would be in Chad's world is, is what we'd be all in right now.
2: hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, uh, you know, like you said, ahead of his time, you know, he used Twitter. Um, he, he had his old CNN yep. news and I mean, he just, you know, like I, I, I you know, I always, um, uh, you know, I always admire the smarts of a guy like that. So yeah, he was a good guy.
0: Yeah. Anytime somebody, kind of makes a lane for themselves outside of the game is really is really impressive to me Uh, winding down here last couple things Uh, it was and I know you said you didn't really reflect too much during but after was there um, is there a most satisfying moment of your career uh, between the lines that you can recall you know like a specific play or an accomplishment that that you think defines you as an NFL player on the field
2: um, I don't think one defi- I don't think I've had like a defining moment on the field I know that uh, early in my career you know I had two sacks against the Ravens um, at home uh, in Chicago um, hell of a feeling to you know make those crazy Chicago fans just go nuts <laughs> and, and to literally have them on a string uh, you know you, you're telling them let's go and they're going crazy so to you kind of feel like um you're you're an um conductor of an orchestra for that one moment and uh it's a great feeling
0: that's awesome i gotta imagine that that the stadium is like shaking down on the field when you've got you know seventy five thousand insane people that have been drinking since 9 a.m that are uh, enjoying (laughs) that second sack
2: exactly like you know (laughs) Game closing sack, you know you're watching just people out there shit face. You just can't wait to get with them and get shit face yourself, and it's just a great it's it's a great feeling to run off that field and people seeing your name on the on the big tron. That's that's a great feeling,
0: incredible.
1: Big T, uh, this will probably be the last one here, man. Uh, question for you: Knowing everything you know now, all the uh, all the moments, your entire career. All the things that you're doing now, what would you say to young men, young athletes that uh, have aspirations for the league or just aspirations for uh, something better? What would you say to them to encourage them, motivate them, you know, um, kind of project them forward, if you will?
2: You know, I, I you know the one thing that I always uh, love to tell people is to um, set short and long term goals. And that is probably the most satisfying feeling that you'll have uh, in your life is when you watch yourself um, accomplish a goal. You know, I don't care what it, whatever it is, and you know the way that you can really hold yourself accountable is to is to be a goal setting person. And and so uh, you know any person striving for something, um, I, I would just tell them to sh- set short and long term goals, and 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 watch. Um, how happy it makes you when you accomplish those goals.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. I think it was a, one quote that said, you know, um, especially piggybacking off of that is goals are dreams with a deadline. So I love how you think, Big T, and I appreciate you being yeah. on the show, man.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. I, You know, obviously I was looking forward to it and, uh, you know, hope, uh, hope it comes out good.
0: Yeah, Tank, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation with you. And uh, thanks for giving us an insight onto on what Daryl was like on the field and, and really that, I mean, you gave us a soup to nuts, you know, first-person perspective on everything from getting ready for the draft to playing in the Super Bowl. And I uh, can't thank you enough. So we wish you the best, and uh, we hope to have you on again in the future. And uh, thank you for joining us, Tank. Yeah, thanks, guys.